0: For as as reading for this afternoon, let's turn to Ephesians chapter four, verses seventeen to thirty-two. That's on page thirteen forty-five of your Pew Bible. This is God's word. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, and being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Excuse me. Let's turn to Lord's Day 3. Verse 3. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No. On the contrary, God created man good and in his image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly know God, his creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal blessedness, to praise and glorify him. From where then did man's depraved nature come? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. For there our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God After the proclamation of God's word, we will respond by singing hymn 81, stanza 1, 2, and 3. Beloved in Christ, last week you have probably dealt with how great. Your, your sin and misery are. And this week we are dealing with the origin of our sin and misery. We're asking from where did man's depraved nature come from? It's helpful to know the origin or the cause of the problem because when we seek a solution, the solution is aimed at curing the cause, to solving the cause, not the symptom, but the cause of it, if you really want to fix the problem. And allow me to give you an example of how serious the consequences can be when you fail to do that. I heard an interview of Abigail Schreier, an author, the author of Irreversible Damage, and the subtitle is the transgender craze seducing our daughters. She was saying that there was a group of girls who were unhappy and decided that gender must be their problem. And they went ahead and started transitioning, taking hormone, hormone puberty blockers and getting testosterone and getting, even getting a double mastectomies. What concerned her was that most of the time, the transition did not help. The mental problems which haunted them before were still remained after transitioning, and most of the time they were worse off. And this decision, such a critical decision, was made when they were teenagers still. And the result of that, the consequences of that decision, was lifelong. Most of them became infertile. There was an increased risk of cardiac arrest, and they had permanent. Physical changes they had to live with. And right now there is a spike of people detransitioning, trying to get back to their biological gender. A big part of the tragedy for these young girls was that they've decided that gender must be their problem of their unhappiness. They've misunderstood what the cause of their unhappiness is. It's horrible. As an example is, that's just one example of misunderstanding the cause of our misery. We need to understand what causes our misery, sin and misery, properly. The stakes are high. And today we'll do so by looking at the big picture of every Christian through Lord's Day 3. The theme of the sermon is the bird's eye's view of every Christian's story they will consider three points. In the first point, we'll focus on the fallen state. In the second, the original state. And third, the renewed state. So let's begin with the fallen state. The previous Lord's Day, we saw that our sin and misery are indeed Great. And we saw that the essence of it was our rebellious heart, our corrupt heart. So we had a heart that was inclined to hate God and our neighbors. And now as we come to Lord's Day 3, we get to ask, why? Why is our heart rebellious? Why is our heart corrupt? And question 6 asks, did God create us this way? And question 7 asks, from where, then, from where does our man's deprived nature come from? And the answer is from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. It says, for there our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. Now I'll invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 5, verse 3. Genesis 5, verse 3, which is on page 5. And there we read And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Through the fall, Adam and Eve became corrupt. Their image became corrupt, their likeness became corrupt. And then, Adam fathers a son in his corrupt image, in his corrupt likeness. So, the first generation of mankind being born from Adam and Eve has a corrupt likeness and corrupt image. Right? That makes sense, doesn't it? We know children who are like their parents, exactly like their parents in the way they talk, in the way they walk, also, in the way they laugh, they're exactly identical to their parents. Right? We have these traits that we inherit from our fathers, and that's how it is with children Adam and Eve. We are corrupt because we've inherited that from Adam and Eve. Now, this doesn't answer all the questions, but that's what the Bible tells about you. You are affected. You've inherited your father's sin. Your parents sin, and that all all the way goes up to Adam. And again, confirming this, Psalm 51, verse 5, writes, In sin did my mother conceive me. We are born sinful. That is the cause of our sin and misery. Everyone is born sinful. And that brings us, that highlights another aspect of our sin and misery. We are born this way. Perhaps you've seen the sign born this way. It's often seen on LGBT rallies, on, on gay parades, pride parades. And in rainbow colors, you'll read the phrase born this way. Now, what, why do they have that sign? What's the force of the argument? What are they trying to say with that? Part of it is, if I am born this way, There's not much I can do about it. I was born this way. Don't try to change me, is what they're trying to convey. It's hard to change what you are born with. It's hard to change a birth defect. Likewise, we are born the way we are in our sin and misery. We are conceived and born in sin. Sin is a big thing to grapple with. So it might be helpful to think of a specific area of sin. Some people are genetically predisposed to be vulnerable to alcohol, for example. Some people get a bigger kick of dopamine, the pleasure chemical, when they drink way more than others. Also, it's known that socially anxious people are more attracted to alcohol because they will inhibit their anxiety and makes them more outgoing and social. So these two groups of people like alcohol more than others. They're more prone to become dependent on alcohol. Those two factors, a greater kick, a greater release of dopamine and social anxiety, those are how they are born. It's not a habit that they picked up, It's not the corrupting influences of society. That's their biological makeup. You could say that they were born to be more prone to become alcoholics. Like us, we're all born weak and broken in some ways, either in our sexuality, perhaps we're emotionally weaker, mentally, physically broken. And most definitely, we're spiritually all broken. We're all broken, and that's how we're born. We're born with a hating heart, a heart that hates God and hates our neighbor. It's not a habit that we've picked up. Think of how radical this claim is. The Bible says you're born the way you are. It's It's not something that you've picked up as a habit on the way. It's not the the corrupting influences of society. We've inherited this from Adam and Eve. Although that's, that's how integral it is to us, it's not how God created us. And it's crucial to know that it's not God who created us imperfectly or in a broken way. And that's because at the end, we'll have to turn to God as a solution. If God created us the way we are, broken and sinful, what hope do we have when we turn to God if that's God's original original design. So it's important to know how God created us to be. So we'll turn to the original state, and that's the second point. In our text, Ephesians 4, we get some hints of what the original state was. Consider phrases such as these. In verse 18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated, and so on. And in verse 19, okay, the NKJV has been past feeling they've given themselves over to lewdness, but the ESV has become callous. These expressions tell us that things are not the way it used to be. It does not say that our minds are dark. It says darkened, darkened, which implies that our minds were not dark. It says alienated. It doesn't say just alien. It it, it hence implies that we were not alien to God before. A lot can be said about all these terrible things that's written in here, but let's focus on verse 18, being alienated from the life of God. Again, alienated, which means we are not alien to God to begin with. We became alienated. Which again shows we were in fact created to live with God. We were meant to love God. We were meant to be loved by God fully with all our hearts, with all his hearts, and live in eternal blessedness. And that gives us a hint of why we are so miserable in this life. We were meant to live with God, but we no longer are with God. There's a story that illustrates this very well, and it's called Fish Out of Water by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And here's how it goes, a section of it, at least. Have you seen a fish swimming? It dives, darts, glides, turns, flashes through the water. A fish was made for water. That's its natural habitat, the place where it belongs. And the Bible says we are made for God, to be loved by Him and to love Him. That's where we belong. But when we run away from God, we run away from everything that makes us alive and free. We run away from our own happiness. We leave our place where we belong close to his heart. Isn't that powerful? Fish without water is a great illustration. I wouldn't know what a fish would experience when it's out of water. I guess it will suffocate. There's no way to bring oxygen into their system. But as good as that illustration is, it still doesn't capture the misery that we have without God. Yeah, we're physically alive, but spiritually, how are we? We were meant to be with God. We were meant to experience God's love always. God was infinite and is infinite, and without Him, without God who is infinite, that means we have an infinite need. It will be like having a spiritual black hole that will be never satisfied. And that's why the church father, Augustine, wrote, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Our hearts are restless. We will do anything to fill this infinite void. We will see that, actually, in the world where people are throwing themselves into all kinds of sin, Think of someone who is brought up in a broken relationship or a broken family, or who is in a broken relationship, how miserable their lives are. That's why, again, people tangle themselves in all kinds of sins to to receive that love, to seek, to receive that approval from whom they should be receiving. That's how we are when we are separated and alienated from God. That's why perhaps some of you are tangled up in sin, trying to numb yourself or distract yourself from the emptiness, the sense of desperation that you feel. Since we've, we are created to live with God, what we need in this life, too, is a relationship with God. But sometimes... We do exactly the opposite. We make a terrible mistake, an ironic mistake. And this I'm all turn, I'll invite you to turn to Proverbs 19,19, 19, verse three. This is such a relevant, relevant verse to our Lord's day today. Verse 19, verse 3, there it says, The foolishness of a man twists his way. That means his way is ruined, as the original goes. The foolishness of man twists his way, and his heart frets against the Lord, or his heart rages against the Lord. Like That's a mistake of not understanding what the real cause of our problem is. It's not God. It was his folly that brings his way to ruin. It's this folly that twists his way. Then his heart rages against, frets against the Lord as if it was God who has done that to him. That shows again how important it is to know what causes our sin and misery. Perhaps you are in a thick of hardships. You are wrong. If that's the case, you are wrong to rage against the Lord. Do not fret against the Lord. That's exactly the opposite of what you should be doing. In fact, the reason you are miserable is because you are alienated from God. Having a relationship with God is is the only thing that will fix your misery. He is the only one who can help you, and there is no other. What you need to know is that God did not create us the way we are in our sin and misery. He did not create man with a rebellious heart. God intended you to be perfect. He made man for himself. He made man in his image, in his divine image. He made you in a way so that he would reflect how he is, so that you would be like him. Think about that, us being in the image of God perfectly perfection beyond our understanding. As our catechism puts it, God created man, that's question and answer six, answer six, God created man good and in his image, that is in true righteousness and holiness. And since God created us this way, he is the only one who can restore us to this image again. True righteousness and holiness If you come back to Ephesians chapter 4, those are the phrases that's directly lifted from verse 24. There, Paul writes, and that you put on the new self, new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness and holiness. Our catechism shows that we are created that way. Adam and Eve was created that way. But Did you notice that there's a slight difference in Ephesians 4? What is the context of this true righteousness and holiness? When you look at Ephesians 4 verse 24, Paul is not referring to Adam and Eve in paradise. He's in fact referring to the new man. He's he's talking to the Ephesians. And then he says this new man is something that the Ephesians can put on. Right. True righteousness and holiness, which was existed in paradise, is something that we can attain in this life. And that's great news. That's the gospel. So we turn to the renewed state, to the third point. What Paul teaches in, his, in Ephesians 4 is also what our catechism summarizes as well. If you turn to question and answer 8. We read, are we so corrupt, but are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? And the answer, yes. Unless, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. The Catechism too hints at the possibility of being regenerated by the Spirit of God. That possibility that we saw in in chapter 4 of Ephesians as well. And this is, again, I'll point out another, I'll give you another piece of evidence that Paul sees this potential. In verse 17, Paul commands the Ephesians that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, and he goes on. These people were living alienated from God, and he's saying, do not longer, no longer walk in those ways which shows that they are capable of doing so. And that's only because Paul was aware of their transformation, a regeneration. He knew that they were being renewed and recreated after the likeness of God. Think about this transformation. Think of of how amazing it is we already looked at how serious our sin was. We were born the way we are. we conceived and born in sin, and sin has corrupted every part of our lives. Our heart is corrupted. Every single cell in our body is corrupt. Our soul and body, they're both corrupt. So if you want to solve this problem, something radical has to happen a solution that's going to change our heart, a solution that's going to change every single cell of our body. And that solution is called regeneration. Regeneration is is a compact word that is used to describe being born again. That makes sense, doesn't it? The Bible is perfectly logical in this sense. Well, if we are born in sin, conceive them born in sin, if that's our problem. The, biblical, the Bible's solution is that to be born again into a different condition. You counter, I guess, a bad birth with another birth. That's what regeneration is. Sometimes it's called recreation. Sometimes it's called renewal, as it is in verse 23 of the text today. Verse 23 reads, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So we're dealing with the same thing. Think of the expression renewal, regeneration, being born again, or recreation. What does that mean? It points, what's the degree of change and transformation that we're dealing here? And the answer is that we're dealing with a total transformation. Imagine that You are working on a project and you wanted some input, so you go ask your project manager or your mentor. And unfortunately, as a a project manager looks at it, your work is really, really bad. So he's not going to tell you to fix this part here or improve a little bit over there. But he'll tell you something like this. I know how much work you've put into it, how much effort you've put into it. And I'm sorry to tell you this, but you'll have to start all over. Like, that will be easier. That's how bad that project is. And if you applied that concept to a person that's being born again, your condition is so bad that you don't need an improvement. You have to be born again. Renewal is what you need, not an improvement or correction but a renewal. If you thought that you could improve yourself, I mean, there are other candidates competing in our lives, self-help. If you thought you could better your life by an improvement of sleep, diet, I don't know, wellness, meditation, good relationships, friendships, and so on, good habits, lifestyle, those could all be helpful, but that, won't, that wouldn't cause you to be transformed completely they wouldn't help you to deal with being born and conceived, conceived and born in sin. You need a radical transformation. You need a renewal. And how do you do that to yourself? How does one become born again? And that's exactly the question that Nicodemus asked in John, John chapter 3, isn't it? He asked, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter his mother's womb again? And and the Christ's answer is, well, it's mysterious. It's done by the Spirit. And that's also what our catechism points to, the regeneration of the Spirit of God. We can't do it on ourselves. What we need is God's Spirit, His immeasurable power, the power of creation as we've sung in Psalm 51, create in us a new heart. We need the power that raised Christ as our Canons of Dort summarizes, as he talks about regeneration, he says, According to scripture inspired by the author of this work, regeneration is not inferior in power to creation or the raising of the dead. We need the help of someone who can create the world out of nothing. We need the, the person, the, the help of someone who can raise people from the dead and that's God. It must come from God. So we know that it comes from God as the Bible reveals it to us, but how do we receive that power? How do we allow ourselves to be transformed? And our, our text, Ephesians 4, gives us an answer, and the answer that's revealed in chapter 4 is, is the encounter with Christ. What you need... To be transformed, what you need to be renewed is an encounter with Christ. That's what happened in Paul's life. He was not a Christian. He, in fact, persecuted the church. And what transformed his life completely was the encounter with Christ, meeting Christ on the road on Damascus. That's what transformed him. That's what what renewed him. And he also talks about an encounter with Christ in chapter 4. And we see that in verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. That is not the way you learned Christ, is Paul says. Learning Christ is what makes the difference. When you look at the structure of chapter 4, the verses that we read, we see that from verse 17 to 19, it talks about the ways of the Gentile the sinful ways, and what comes after verse 20 is putting off the old self, old man, putting on the new man. So it hinges on verse 20. Verse 20 marks the transition. What marks the transition in a person's life is the encounter with Christ, is learning Christ. Again, I'm equating learning Christ as encountering Christ why do I do that? Because of how Paul talks about it. So we, should have, we need to dig in what does it mean to learn Christ? Catch this subtle difference. Paul didn't say that that's not the way you've learned about Christ. He says, but learn Christ. He doesn't say, you have not so learned about Christ. He says, but you have not so learned Christ. And the following phrase makes it the meaning clear. In verse 21 it says, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Right? He's not saying that you've heard about Christ, if indeed that you have heard about Christ. He says, if indeed that, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. Let me illustrate the difference between hearing about someone and hearing someone. Not too long ago, there was a Ligonier conference in Ontario, and one of the speakers was Tim Challies. Have you heard about Tim Challies? He's a pastor, author, and a blogger. Maybe you've heard about him, but since the conference, which I attended, thankfully, I can say that I heard him. Not I heard about him, but I heard him. Do you get the difference? The difference between hearing about and just hearing is this. When I heard Tim Charles, it means that I heard him in person. I heard his voice indirectly. So when the Ephesians learned Christ, when they heard Christ, it implies that they had an encounter with Christ. They heard him directly. They've met Christ. Paul is not talking about learning about some information about Christ, but getting to meet Christ and having a relationship with Christ, learning him directly. And how does that work with the Ephesians, you should ask? Or the Ephesians' eyewitnesses? Perhaps you might think, well, they've seen Christ, they've met Christ. But that wasn't the case. Paul was converted after Christ's ascension. He met Christ in a special revelation. And the gospel spread to the Ephesians after Paul's conversion. So, the Ephesians were converted after Christ's ascension. Which means they're not eyewitnesses or ear witnesses as a disciple's word. And how could it be that if the Ephesians learned Christ? How could it be that they heard Christ? And the implication is that when you hear the gospel of Christ, you come, you come in contact with the living person. When you hear the gospel, you're coming in contact with the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ. It's a bit mysterious, but you experience this not by sight, but by faith. Union with Christ through his word, by believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, is what God's word teaches us. For example, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul bows his knees before God and he prays so that, this is what he says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's not talking about an information about Christ, a knowledge about Christ, but Christ Himself dwelling in your hearts. Also, Paul says personally about Himself in Colossians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When you believe in Christ proclaimed to you by the gospel, you actually live to have a relationship with Christ. You have a living relationship with Christ. You will hear Christ. You will learn Christ. You will be taught by Christ directly. So come, meet Christ. Believe in Him. He is the solution to our deep corruption, as we've seen. Continue in your relationship relationship with Christ. He will renew us from the inside out, from our minds and hearts. He renews us and He will renew you by His Spirit. He will regenerate you. He will make you born again, give you a fresh start. He will renew you completely. Amen.